need to feed my spirit. I was once looking. You are a spectre from the gods. Walk with me. Alright, you're listening to Wait You Were Mormon with Devin Brown. I'm your host, Devin Brown. And for episode 28, we've got the very lovely Brian Barnes. He opens up about his strict upbringing in Missouri, getting called to Missouri for three months, his struggles with same-sex attraction, and possibly being diagnosed with autism, and of course, much, much more. Again, if you haven't already, please be sure to check out www.waityourmormon.com for access to all of the previous episodes, as well as all of my social links. And while you're there, why not share a favorite episode with a family member or friend? I would really appreciate it. Now enjoy the episode. Yeah, I'm just kind of jumping into things. Can you tell us a little about yourself? Who are you? Where are you from? All that jazz? Yeah, my name's Brian. I'm from uh, Missouri originally, southwest Missouri, Ozarks area. Uh, now I live in North Carolina. Nice, nice, nice. Which do you like better? Definitely North Carolina, I think. <laughs> no? <laughs> yeah, I live kind of near the beach, so that's yeah. that's a big plus. I, I need to start watching Ozarks or something. That's it, that's it, a good show. That's I'm what I'm that's lie. what I'm yeah. hearing. But then I might have it's some good. some references or some some frame of reference at yeah. least. Never been out that way, but um, yeah, probably you... better to just watch the show. Watch the show, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't <laughs> don't take a little road trip. I got some vacation days that I need to to use. Yeah, spend them at Lake of the Ozarks. Great. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. So you. Where you grew up in Missouri, you live in uh, North Carolina now. Um, were you born in the church? I was, yeah. My, in fact, my my family's like some ridiculous number generations <laughs> LDS. So yeah, I was I was born in the church there. Yeah, never never lived in Utah though. But have you have you visited Utah? Yeah, briefly. I, I was there for like a week. Mm. Um, yeah visiting somebody but that's that's about it yeah went to went to city creek mall maybe <laughs> yeah it was very it was a lot more like metro than i thought it was gonna be but because uh, i went to salt lake so mm-hmm. um but yeah i was uh i was definitely surprised by salt lake myself when i went i kept i kind of really have you ever have you ever seen the book of mormon musical I no, know. I haven't. So I've heard part of the soundtrack, but I have a hard time like listening to Broadway soundtracks when mm-hmm. I haven't seen the yeah. the production, and I haven't, I never got the chance to see it. So I got the chance to see it. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, they're they're in Uganda, and they are maybe one of the converts starts singing a song about Salt Lake City, and like you know, builds it up. It's this utopia, like the most perfect place on earth. And then kind of out in Florida, I had that kind of idea of it as well. Yeah. And then you get there and you're like, oh, it's like a bunch of homeless and some parts are, you know, kind of grimy and things like that. But I think that's what, like, I think just about every, like, Mormon kid that grows up outside of Utah kind of has an image of Utah in their head Mm -hmm. because 
you know, most of the people that I met, even though I was growing up in Missouri, because I was socializing mostly around other Mormons, most of the adults were from Utah. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was very aware that Utah was kind of the the Mormon Mecca. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so I kind of had a, an image of it in my head as like, well, if if Mormons were responsible for the um, government in an entire state, what would that look like? Well, of course, it would be great because... I'm biased and indoctrinated to think that. Yeah, exactly. And then, then reality bites. But um, we were talking earlier a little bit. Um, it sounded like you kind of had a, a strict household. So was a was a mission something that you were ever like? Was that something that was pressured? Like you're definitely going to serve, and you better not come home early. Like it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't really a choice. Yeah, I mean it. It was because it's, you know, I was a legal adult and it's mm. technically a choice no matter what. But realistically, no, there wasn't a version of that where I didn't um, serve a mission. And I even mm. uh, after I graduated high school, you know, I grew up not with a lot of money. <laughs> um, so when I graduated high school, I had to work for a year before I could even apply for my mission because I had to save up money. Because mm-hmm. for those who don't know, it's expensive yeah. to serve a mission. You, It's not free. You have to pay for it. It's like, uh, I don't know what it is now. It's probably the same, but it was $400 a month, I think. Yeah, I think I think yeah, it's a little up. more expensive now. Yeah. What I've been told, like maybe 12 grand instead of 10 for the whole two years. Yeah. 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 It was 10 grand. Yeah. That's what it was for the two years. And so I had to work at a, at a restaurant, um, for a year to save up money and I still didn't have enough. Um, but, uh, a member of my ward ended up paying for the rest of it. Um, so yeah, I, I so didn't have a choice that I, (laughs) I worked for a year to save up so that I could go and I wanted to go, you know, it wasn't something I was avoiding. Although had I been given a more a less pressured choice. I can't say that I would have mm-hmm. gone. Um, I think a lot of my motivation to go was because I was in an environment where um, that was such an obvious decision to make that mm-hmm. I, I never really considered not going. I was, you know, I, my parents would talk to me about my mission being a, a really big moment in my life since I was like four. Mm-hmm. Um, did your dad, was he a return missionary? Uh, no, my dad was actually a convert. Um, so my mom, my mom wasn't a convert, like I'd said before, but, Mm -hmm. uh, my dad was uh, a convert. He had grown up Baptist Mm -hmm. and, um, so he wasn't a return missionary, which actually was kind of a point of, I don't want to say, uh, ridicule, but like awkwardness, I guess in the ward, um, which I didn't really understand when I was younger, but as I kind of got into, teenage years in high school I kind of started to realize what the issue was and uh when you're when your dad hasn't served a mission your dad also doesn't typically get like bishop stake president type callings Mm -hmm. either that's just kind of how it is in the culture especially outside of of Utah um in you know in Missouri um it's very like it's very dynasty-esque typically Mm -hmm. people in the same families in the area get callings and so like for example in a lot of the towns in near where i grew up you'll see a stake president um two bishops and um a patriarch that are all brothers or cousins in one area it's very common um and because the communities out there are so much smaller than they are in utah right like a ward can span multiple towns or cities sometimes when they're small enough um 
but because of that when you have when you have parents that that didn't grow up in the church um sometimes you're in a bit of a different social status i guess and so because Mm -hmm. my dad didn't serve a mission my dad wasn't like buddy buddy with a lot of the other like kids dads my age and so i wasn't like a part of a lot of the social (laughs) groups in that area um that's interesting that it's kind of like uh this this dynasty aspect to it was there like a financial aspect as well because you notice there's yeah. a pattern always in the church. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's always you, lawyers when, yeah. and businessmen. When I say a family, I mean the families that had a lot of money and yeah. had a lot of kids mm. um, were typically. And I was actually related to a uh, to a probably a third of the of the people who were in that area that were LDS. I was some kind of first or second cousin too, because you know I'm out that far away from the from the homeland, as it were. Um, pretty much everybody's related in some way, or they moved there from Utah for work. Um, and so, but yeah, there's definitely a money aspect to it because there was a lot of, you know, doctors, surgeons, dentists, business owners, uh, pe- accountants, people like that, 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 you know, not like, like one percenters, but people that were comfortable upper middle class. And so when you're, when you're growing up in like a kind of a working class, lower class, household typically that's also kind of a dividing line because even and that's not even really a church thing that's just you know you get people in a social group Mm -hmm. and there's really big disparities between uh socioeconomic status you're going to have people socialize and group up that way Mm -hmm. now i've never been to missouri obviously you grew up there Um, i'm assuming you've been to the garden of eden yeah it was actually in my mission area nice Um, yeah yeah um, I think I don't know if I've mentioned it recently, but we had talked before about how I I served my mission like two hours away from my hometown. So, um, but yeah, Adamon Diamond is the area where where that's at, and that was in my mission. I actually, so it's kind of funny. I I went once as a kid um, with my parents, and I was supposed to go while I was out on my mission, but we ended up it ended up getting canceled the trip we were supposed to take as a as a mission to go um and so i didn't actually get to go while i was out on my mission but when i was a kid i got to see it yeah it's just a field (laughs) trees uh man like like we were talking earlier so you're you're in missouri you you open your call boom it's it's missouri and then, yeah. so I never knew that was an option. Neither did I. No, I was actually really shocked. In fact, I was worried. Um, I was even. I was. I remember telling my parents, I was like, um, "I'm really worried that I'm going to get called somewhere that's like really close, like California." And then <laughs> that was like maybe a week before I got my call, and it was like, "You've been called to the uh, what was it called, the Independence Missouri Independence Mission," and I was like man (laughs) that's like i could i was so close that um if i got to the lowest point of my mission which was clinton missouri um it was about 15 to 30 minutes depending on how uh much you're obeying speed limits to my parents house and so i never got put in that area on my mission but um i could have driven because we had cars um, in my area, I could have driven home, eaten lunch, and driven back um, within the span of like the hour, like lunch period that oh, I had. Wow. 
which is crazy. Uh, <laughs> That's so close. Did you ever like bump into like people you knew? Yeah, actually I did. So I, I had mentioned before that I was actually, I had some cousins that were mm. in the, in the area that uh, recognized me when I, it was actually kind of funny because they didn't make it to church the first Sunday that I was there. And so I didn't know they were in the ward. Cause I, I mean, I knew I was related to them. I had met them before, but I didn't know like what ward they were in. And then we ended up going to their house for dinner a few nights later because they were feeding us. Um, and I recognized the last name and I was like, I have cousins with that name, but it mm. like didn't connect that they live anywhere in this area. And we showed up to their house and they were like, Brian? <laughs> it was so weird. Uh, and I was like, hey, it's me. I'm on my mission. Um, but yeah, and then I also ran into a couple of people from my ward back home too, because there's, you know, when it's that close, people just end up visiting family members and such in that area. And so for a lot of my mission, I was in Kansas City and I ended up running into a lot of people from home mm. uh, who had either moved to Kansas City for work or who were just passing through that area. So that was kind of weird. Yeah, I, I imagine because I always hated like bumping in, bumping into Americans like while I was in Ghana. <laughs> I don't know, I just felt so, like, ugh, you, you caught me, like, doing something dirty almost. Yes. <laughs> like, ugh, yeah, dang. it did kind of feel that way a little bit. You're right. I kind of felt like I was I was being caught doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing, which was kind of a weird feeling, but mm -hmm. maybe that was maybe that was my my internal shelf cracking, telling me that I shouldn't have been shouldn't have been out there in the first exactly, place. Exactly, right? Now, I also didn't know this was an option until you, you mentioned it, but you also didn't go to the MTC. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So I didn't go to the MTC because my mission was only, you know, a two hour drive from from where I was living. And so I um, actually I didn't even drive up myself. Um, my my bishop um, drove me up there um, when it was time to go on my mission. And they didn't call me to the MTC because it was just it was so close. It didn't make any sense to to have me go out there but i was also like i'd mentioned before i was only called originally to serve for three months and then i had the option after that to request basically reapply but it was just me i didn't have to fill anything out i just had to ask my mission president in that area to resubmit the the documentation to to apply to serve out the rest of the two years um and apparently there was a chance that I would have been called somewhere else as well if I had chosen to do that to a different area. But I, I ended up not doing that because I don't know how people could go for two years. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know if I, I wouldn't have survived that, man. It was just not I was not enjoying myself. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's why I didn't get called to the MTC, though, was because, you know, there was a really good chance I was only going to be out there for three months. And I think they didn't want to waste all that time of the of the mission with me you know flying all the way out to utah and then flying all the way back um basically where i had come mm. from it it feels stingy on the church's part to me yeah it well it kind of did at the time too because i you'd be surprised or maybe you wouldn't i don't know you'd be surprised if you go into the mission field directly from home without visiting the mtc there's a lot of stuff that you miss there's a lot of things that go on in the mtc and i didn't realize how much of the mission culture is built there it's not yeah. it does it's not built in the mission area like i thought it was so there were a lot of there's a lot of jargon that i didn't yeah. know um like tons and tons of jargon that i didn't understand um, 
and there was a lot of like just the way people talked and also everyone in my mission was from utah except for me basically and so they also all had the utah culture that they had brought with them that i didn't understand um so it was very weird i definitely felt like i was the weird missionary and it's not like everyone didn't know too mm -hmm. right so like i showed up and they had all flown in and i wasn't on the plane with them so they knew something was up they were like who is this guy so that was definitely weird i i definitely kind of felt like i was i think elder barnes is a narc maybe guys is he some anti that's maybe that's here to, like, yeah. watch us? uh that's 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 crazy that's funny but i hadn't thought i hadn't really thought of that that aspect of it like the culture of the mtc because yeah, i had a pretty yeah. big group that um I, we flew from Atlanta straight to Ghana. There's an MTC there. And you really, uh, it's like a tight knit group yeah. until the end, you know, you're like, Oh, I hope I serve with one of my, you know, my TCs. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And you, yeah. That's crazy. They, they really screwed you over. Yeah. I, I see I really why you're like on the other. The, I didn't, I didn't get the summer camp part of the experience. Yeah, I had to go not. straight into the, the, <laughs> the misery of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just getting out of like a, a kia like yeah. all right <laughs> oh man so but what was the process or reason behind like the the three month like stipulation or whatever yeah so all full disclosure um so my my parents um how do i even how do i even go into this so i had been i had been originally kind of pseudo diagnosed with uh with autism spectrum disorder when i was a kid okay. um which later ended up kind of being kind of being lifted by my psychiatrist I was like i don't i don't think that's what you yeah. um and so i had already i had already been told that i didn't have it by this point when i was mm -hmm. applying for the mission um but my parents were not so convinced my parents were kind of like well we still think maybe he does because he's super awkward. So, you know, uh, <laughs> and so my parents, um, when I was applying, had told uh, our bishop that they that they were concerned about that, that they were like, you know, is there like a special thing that he can do or whatever? Um, and the bishop was like, I think he'll probably be fine. But um, I guess they had notified the church somehow through the bishop um, and they sent a guy from Oklahoma who worked for. I guess church social services is what you would call it or family services or something. Um, and he was a, he was a, like an assessment psychiatrist um, that like did an he flew out and did an assessment on me and determined that I would be fine serving a mission. He was like, I don't think that you're like autistic. I think you're like, you'll, you'll be fine on a mission. And then also not that being on autistic would make you not be fine on a mission. I think that there was just kind of a, there's an overly concerned um, caution that comes out of out of the church when it comes to assigning people on missions because there's kind of a uh, you know whether they want to admit it or not it's kind of a brand identity issue when you've got people who um, maybe don't represent the the social atmosphere that the church is trying to put out um, and so anyone who kind of has um, social abilities that are abnormal or atypical. Um, the church typically wants to try and rein in and keep them away from like large numbers of people. Um, and so I was, I was called to serve for three months first. Um, 
And then that's why I was given the opportunity to extend it because they said, well, if it's if you know if there's no major issues, then there's no reason why you can't serve a full mission. And then um, when I got to that three month mark, my my mission president had told me that I should just pray about it and see see what I felt, see if I wanted to stay out or if I wanted to go home. And I did I did pray about it, but truly, at that point. I was facing some internal strife with the shelf breaking process and everything. And I, I didn't really, I hadn't had enough time on my mission to kind of think that through or process any of that. And so I decided that I needed to take some kind of time off from, from being in it 100% all the time, 24 seven, not being able to watch movies or read anything, that kind of stuff so that I could kind of process the issue that I was having with everything and what wasn't working. And when I got home, I ended up getting married immediately uh, to someone who was very active. And so that kind of prolonged that, that state of, of not being able to think about it, but that ultimate me coming home early or early, I wasn't early for me, but I was early for what it typically is mm. um, kind of allowed me to get into the um, reading reading church history and things like that, which of course can only really end one way. Yeah. I definitely want to, to, to get into that for sure. But I am curious. Um, I know you were only out for three months. You definitely saw the the downsides of, of serving a mission within those three yeah. months. Yeah. <laughs> did you get anything positive out of it? You know, I did. Um, my first companion is a really good friend of mine now. Um, he's still, he's still in the church, uh, as far as I know. Um, uh, but he and I are, we're not like best friends. We're not like that close, but we're, we're close enough that I, I would, I would feel, um, sad to have that friendship broken off, uh, over anything. But I definitely see that as a positive because I, I was having a really rough time out there. I wasn't, I wasn't enjoying it. And I think the, the negatives were mostly just the overall experience. It wasn't like there were specific things that happened to me that were just so awful. I mean, I know, and I mean, I stayed in the same state. It's not like it could have been that bad. It's not like I was going to get, I don't forget the name of that movie, but it's not like I was going to get kidnapped by Russian gangsters or anything while I was out that wasn't really the kind of stuff that was going on in my mission but um it was more just the kind of uh living living kind of like a prisoner you know where you're you're having to follow the set schedule all the time you're never alone by yourself you don't have more than five minutes or so to process anything that isn't immediately related to a scriptural reference or something um, and that was very hard for me because that's not the way that I grew up. I mean, I was very, I spent a lot of time growing up at church activities and reading the scriptures and, and kind of being invested in it. But I also uh, had a lot of free time uh, as a kid. I didn't get to spend it like with people because my parents were strict, but I got to at least like, like read books and like enjoy my, my own internal, like, headspace a little bit and on your mission you can't do that at all yeah so your parents like did not let you leave the house like type of strict well it was it wasn't that 
like blatantly like <laughs> like emotionally abusive, but I definitely like I wasn't allowed to hang out with people that weren't Mormon okay. growing up, which is difficult when you grow up in Missouri because I knew like five people my age that were Mormon and none of them were interested in hanging out with me. <laughs> so that that makes that kind of difficult. Yeah. But yeah, so I I, I rarely left the house in, in early adolescence and closer to my, you know, late high school years was was getting out more because I just I had the you know the mobility to just leave mm. the house and get in my friend's car. But. Yeah. Yeah. We we think he's awkward, but we're not gonna let him hang out with friends or socialize. Yeah. Like, well, that, <laughs> yeah, I wonder how that happened. Yeah, okay. But uh <laughs> what was um what was it like for you like being around a companion like constantly like that? I mean you mentioned it feeling like a prisoner, but just the sociality yeah. of, of dealing with another person like that constantly it was weird um and i know that i don't know if it was like this for you but my young men's leaders would would often frame that you know going on a mission is really good training for being married because mm -hmm. this is this is what it's going to be like you're going to be around someone all the time and you're going to have to learn to live with this person a lot and i've been married for several years now and that's not <laughs> what that's like at all um not even remotely similar i vastly prefer being married to <laughs> living with my companion um but it's it was hard to adjust to because you know what it was fine for a little bit it was fine for maybe the first week because i didn't really get to form close attachments to people growing up but um after about a week i realized like i'm not going to get any time to be alone and think about anything it's gonna be i'm gonna be in the same room as this guy for <laughs> for a very very long time yeah and that was that was kind of hard to deal with because i'm i'm normally very extroverted but also like there's like a meter like it runs out eventually like i need to i need to be alone to process things and so that was i think the, the thing that was difficult for me was being around him and I liked him too it wasn't like I didn't like the guy mm -hmm. um like I said we're friends it's just that that's a lot of like time to be spending with one person and then on top of that it's not like we were hanging out and allowed to do whatever we wanted right we were we were basic I wasn't living with my friend I was living with my coworker. um because we were on a job right like we were paying to be out there we weren't <laughs> making any money but we were i mean you're that's full-time like beyond full-time employment we were doing work um and so i think that made it even harder because anytime we were together unless we were eating or sleeping we were supposed to be doing the job we were supposed to be working yeah and then th when you're having too much fun then you feel guilty about that. Oh, as well. absolutely. Yeah. Well, and then I think that's, you know, that's the real reason for the companionships, I think, is that um, it's an accountability check. It has nothing to do with, uh, oh, it's more effective if missionaries are in pairs. That has nothing to do with it. It's, it's about making sure that in those times where, you know, it's been weeks without you having a single like conversation about anything fun. And, I'm I'm starting to let loose a little bit and you know what I'm just thinking about a TV show that I liked before I came out on my mission and I'm talking about it with my companion and you know it's it'll be him that goes we shouldn't be talking about that elder that's mm -hmm. not like we can't be talking about that and so that's what he's there for he's not there because he's helping me 
teach the gospel better like he's there to make sure that that's the only thing that i think about for the next <laughs> extended period of time and likewise for me right so anytime he would do the same i would feel guilty or like i was being tested if i didn't do the same thing if i had a companion that um yeah i had a companion that liked to talk about like warhammer a lot the mm -hmm. like 40k like the, the war game um and i would feel guilty if i didn't like like rebuke him for if we're talking about it i'd be like uh yeah let's get back to um uh mosiah 24 <laughs> uh because i you know i just i felt guilty anytime that i was having any kind of fun mm -hmm. i guess yeah i had my fair share of uh companionship inventories where it's like oh. we gotta stop with these jokes God, like it's, it's yeah. getting a little out of hand we're, we're really kind of joking around too much yeah. and you're like yeah i know i know but I don't there know. was so much stuff in companionship inventories too that ended up being like like i look back on it it was the dumbest stuff it was so stupid that we were even talking about it where we would find i think little nitpicky things to to bring up so that you know like i would find something about him to bring up that i could say you know i think you need to work on this so that i felt less guilty about how little i cared about it if that makes any sense and so for example, being from from the the West area, mountainous regions, he used uh, frick a lot. He would say frick all the time or, or fetch. He would say fetch a lot, too. And I had this thing where I was like, you know, Elder, I think you should stop saying that because it's really just a stand in for the F word. And it really like it means the same thing, like you're saying it for the same purpose and intent. Um and so that's not good. And he was like, no, you're right. I should stop saying that elder. And I'm looking back. I'm like, that was the stupidest thing I've ever said in my life. Yeah. Um, it's like it literally, it doesn't matter. It's so stupid. Yeah. But I realized I was only saying stuff like that, only getting nitpicky because he would say it all the time. And I didn't care because it didn't matter. But I felt guilty that things like that weren't bothering me because I saw that they bothered other people. I saw that, you know, he would never say that around the mission president. Um even stuff as simple as I had a companion that used to wear sunglasses when we were outside because it's sunny in that area. And he got like reprimanded by the mission president because the mission president was like, we're not the men in black. We're missionaries. Don't wear those when you're like out talking to people. And so it's stuff as simple as that. And so I realized I have to key on to these little details if I'm going to be seen as someone who is on it and cares about this stuff, even though I really didn't. Mm-hmm. And especially because you have that that reputation that like Elder Barnes is a narc, so you really yeah. do, you really do have <laughs> right. to follow yeah, it. Yeah, every I was definitely law. yeah, I was definitely seen as kind of like a I don't want to say a weirdo, but definitely like a weirdo. Like no one knew like the details of my of my like mission of why I didn't go to the MTC and stuff like that or how long I was out. But everyone was definitely aware that there was something up with the way I was serving. Um, and also another, I completely forgot to mention this. I didn't go through the temple before I served my mission. I only, I, I didn't go through the temple until after I got home, um, which is super, super weird. Yeah. And so the other thing that was weird is that um, I was the only person on my mission that didn't have garments. Mm -hmm. And so that was also another like really weird thing. And so people, people were kind of aware of it because even though people aren't supposed to talk about it, there were definitely things and references that I didn't understand that were about the temple. And also my 
mission area had the Kansas City, Missouri temple in it. I was in the Shoal Creek Valley area. And so, um, you know, normally the missionaries were allowed to go like once every so often to the temple. But when I was out, my companion wasn't allowed to because I would have had to have gone with him and I wasn't allowed to do it because I hadn't gone through yet. So, man, like obviously mission legends and and whatnot are a thing. They occur. Yeah, they do. Did some rumors about you ever get back to you? Like some outlandish, like I heard about he, me. Yeah, I heard no. he, like, well, not that ever got back did, did to me. This I, this to be this. honest, I feel like I feel like those get spread so easily that, like, of course, there was one. I feel like everyone's got one about them, but no, I didn't. Did you have any about you? Like, well, I went to the temple when I went with my group and everything like that. But um, yeah, I, I, I guess I did. Like I wasn't worthy. Like, I guess I did um, <laughs> within some of the Africans. Because I think we were talking about it earlier, like the whole how things just people click up and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so yeah. there was a, there was like a racial component in my mission, like on P days and activities and things like that. Usually, yeah. Even uh, my first apartment, like at, at the end of the night when we're all kind of winding down, the whites would hang out inside, and then the Africans would hang out on the outside. And then so I'm I'm black, but I'm mixed, and I'm also American, yeah. so I was considered yeah. one of the whites by Africans, but I, my companions, most of them were African. I kind of felt more comfortable hanging out with the Africans, so it was like, there was weird splits like that. So I knew just from certain African companions, like, oh, when I heard I was going to get Elder Brown, like, uh, the fun's over, we're going to be working hard, because, you know, <laughs> like Americans, like, you know, it's like a, like a ball breaker. Kind of yeah, thing like yeah. that, but then they'd be like, "But you're actually very nice and cool." I'm like, "Oh yeah, thanks, man." Yeah, um, yeah. There were definitely there were definitely like weird, like mission like myths, I guess you could call them, uh, in my area. Although some of them, <laughs> some of them might have been true because uh, I heard a couple of them from my mission president, and I feel like he wouldn't have lied about them. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, there were definitely a few. Now I'm kind of worried that like as soon as I left, they were like. Elder Barnes, yeah. let me tell you, <laughs> that guy. I heard he got a bishop's daughter pregnant in another mission, and they yeah, transferred you heard, him you here. Heard that one too. Yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. And it's like there was one um, like mission legend that I heard. Like this, this missionary like got this girl pregnant and then bought her like a rice stand and all of this stuff and if you go to this certain area in kumasi you'll see elder white's rice and it's like a little obviously like half white baby but they like cut my mission in half so i never got to go like up north to kumasi to to investigate it but they can only make stories about the areas that are like just far enough out that you can't yeah i know we we had had a couple i know one of them actually this one might have been real i don't know it sounds so much like ones i've heard before from other people that i i question it but my one of my companions um knew the person that it was about and he he was like no that that happened people like embellish the story a little bit but it did happen i guess there was a missionary that was out and he he didn't get her pregnant but he was dating uh kind of secretly um it wasn't the bishop's daughter it was just some girl in the ward um and she was kind of inactive um um and then he ended up getting sent home because the mission president found out that they were like talking to each other 
And so he got sent home, but his parents were like, um, you know, you're no son of mine. You came home early because you were dating some girl on your mission, like get out of our house. And so he moved back to the mission area um, and moved in with her and they were living in the ward that I was in. I never met them. So I don't know if that was true, but supposedly they were both uh, inactive and living together in an apartment somewhere in that area. But yeah, that was kind of wild. And then we also had a story about how I guess um, there was there was all kinds of stuff about like weird, um, like a bunch of people got sent home for going to Six Flags. I don't know if you know what Six. I don't know if anyone knows what Six Flags is. Oh, the roller coasters. Yeah, so there there it's like a roller coaster park, and apparently it was like it wasn't in our mission field, but it was like just on the edge, and apparently. There was a P day where a bunch of elders like left the missionary and went to Six Flags and the mission president found out about it and sent like like 13, 15 people home like all at once because they had all participated in it. But I don't know if that really happened either. Hmm. That's like so mild of a situation. Yeah. Like what well, we went to a, a theme park. Well, there was also there was also this other. OK, so this one's weird because I don't. Not to um, shit I, on it or anything like that, but I'm just like, I, oh man, like I, I, I was hearing things like uh, Zonleaders were running prostitution rings and they got, okay, they I didn't all, have anything they like all got that. sent yeah, home like that. that. And I'm like, oh geez. But even if you did get caught going to Six Flags, it's like, come on. Yeah. Well, and my, and yeah, and my, my companion cop, to, my second companion cop to me that he and his first companion, when he came out, would go to the movies on on P day and they would just like not wear their name tags so they wouldn't get caught. But I guess they stopped doing it because, um, well he, he had become like straight laced by the time he was my companion, but he had said they had originally stopped doing it because they almost ran into a member of the ward at the theater when they were there one time. And so they were like able to like kind of, cause they weren't in cl- missionary clothes and they didn't have name tags on. So they were able to kind of slip out, but it was a pretty close call. Oh, that that probably happened though, because I don't think you would have told me if yeah. that didn't happen. <laughs> but again, that's not that crazy of a story. Yeah. That's pretty mild. We did have, I think the the weirdest thing that I heard was that apparently there was there were some elders that were like meeting up with a group of sisters in our in our mission. Um and like like swimming in the baptismal font of one of the one of the stake centers um and just like hanging out like a, a couple of times a month doing that and i guess they all get sent home because it it evolved from like swimming to skinny dipping to like getting super weird um but i don't know that one always kind of seemed like it was fake to me i don't know if that was true or not but how many people can you realistically fit in a baptismal font. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, I've I've been baptized before. I kind of feel like that's not a, you know, jacuzzi size at best. It's not that much bigger <laughs> than that. <laughs> yeah, it's like mm, I don't know. They probably had. They were playing like beer pong with Mountain Dew yeah. in there. And <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. They needed to go home, but uh, that that is wild. But you did um, mention obviously your shelf started cracking. Yeah, on the yeah. Well, I was out. Um, so what kind of, what, you know, what were some of the issues that started to bother you? So this is going to sound really weird. Um, so actually I had, I had had some issues before, um, my mission that I'd kind of suppressed, um, 
about about a lot of the stances towards the LGBT community and and things like that that I just I it, they weren't they weren't sitting well with me and I um my parents actually never knew this but I uh, growing up I had what you might call same sex attraction um <laughs> and so it was uh, particularly upsetting for me because I'm I'm also attracted to women and so it wasn't as hard for me as it is for some other people um but in the back of my mind, I always knew that about myself. And so I was, I was worried when I kind of, you know, cause you get taught that that's the church's stance on it, but it doesn't get brought up as much as I think some people think it does. Um, and so you don't really have to like come to terms with it ever. You can just ignore it, especially if you're like, like bi, like I am, like you can just pretend like it doesn't exist. But when the church starts funneling money into like legislation and stuff you're like like what am i supposed to do here like i'm in a i'm in a weird position um to have to deal with this and so before my mission i was kind of dealing with that stuff but that wasn't that wasn't so heavy that it would make me like leave the church it was just like i really don't like this but i'm but the church is true and so therefore um, i'm willing to deal with it but while I was out, this is a weird story. I don't know why I didn't think to bring this up earlier. Um, while I was out, I, my companion, one of my companions and I had been asked by a sister in the ward to basically perform an exorcism on her house. Um, and it was like, it's like a, a Mormon exorcism is like a priesthood blessing uh, premium. <laughs> it's like a, it's like, there's like a little bit more to it and some like specific wording and stuff. And lo and behold, it was in the back of the handbook. I didn't even think that that would be something that was included there, but it was in there. Um, and I was under the impression we would need like the Bishop to do whatever. And so we called him and he said, um, no, you guys are like, you guys can go ahead. It's fine. We we're like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> and so we went and we did that. And maybe it was my fault. I don't know. But I was expecting more of a more of an impression from that event than I got. It was very like like we showed up and we did it and that companion was like, Wow, I really felt the spirit afterwards. And to me I was like none of this is real we're we're literally just like what the hell just happened like this is none of this is real like i felt nothing and then i that was kind of what got me down the road of like trying to remember the last time i had like f really felt the spirit because i was like you know i got to compare it to what i thought it was going to feel like and as i was like going through my mental rolodex of all these things i was like i don't i don't have a i've never I've never felt that before. I don't know what that's supposed to feel like. I was like, I don't know what I was supposed to be comparing it to. I've never, like, I had had times where I got, like, emotional about things or felt like I really, like, something really resonated with me, but I had never really, like, substantially felt the spirit. And so that was the time when it wasn't about my agreement with church policy anymore. I was starting to question, like, is this like even real is this completely fake and i have been like conditioned to think that this is like like real in any way 
Um, and that was the stuff that really started to bother me. Um, not that the, the policy things didn't bother me, but it kind of seemed like you can justify the policy things if it's true, because you can always chalk it up to, you know, God understands, but I don't. And so no matter how strongly I feel about an issue, um, I'm willing to back the church because I believe that it's true. And so there's some explanation that I don't understand. But if the church isn't even true, then everything else falls apart. Nothing else has any justification whatsoever, um, which even makes, you know, the policy decisions worse because now I'm seeing not only is it terrible what they're, what they're doing, but also the harm they're causing isn't even justifiable because they're not, they're not, they're not telling the truth. They're lying to people and they're causing harm to people. So I think that was the big, that was a big moment for me as weird as that, that is. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of Mormons would probably hear that story and be like, Oh, well, it was because you were going into it with like expectations and, and whatever, but it, it wasn't that it was just that it, it made me remember and kind of wake up to the fact that I had never had an experience like what it seemed like everyone else was having. And to be honest, I, I haven't talked about this, but I, I study, uh, I'm in graduate school for psychology. Um, but I don't, I don't know that most or any of those people have had those experiences. I think they, they, they talk about them and it makes them real. That's, that's what makes it real because you talk about like, um, you know, I've had spiritual experiences. And if I, if you had asked me when I was active, I would have said, of course I have. I've had experiences that were very, very real to me in the moment. But when I look back at them, it's very easy to tell, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a spiritual experience. It was just an emotional experience. It was, it was an impactful experience, but it wasn't spiritual. There was nothing, there was nothing supernatural about it. That is an interesting distinction. Yeah, I hadn't really thought of that. But I am curious. You mentioned you got married very fast. Yeah. As you're having all of you're going you're going through all of these. Yeah. This existential crisis, really. Um, and that sh they were very active. Now, how did that work with these feelings? Because I assume there would be expectations of you, like as a a worthy priesthood holder. Right. Yeah. Well, I was a, I was a worthy priesthood holder when I came home, and so that, that yeah. Well, to thing. like create that that atmosphere, that spiritual yeah, atmosphere. Yeah, it was it was kind of complicated. So um, we got we're actually still married, um, um, and we ended up we ended up leaving together. Um, but uh, we we originally st so the first I'd say maybe year and a half, two years we were active um, that we were married. Um. And we just kind of, you know, it was a culture thing that it, that initially started us, uh, like not going anymore. Um, we, no matter what we did, we could not get people to treat us like we were adults because we were married and living in the ward that we both like kind of grew up in. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't like, there wasn't anyone there who didn't know us. And so they kind of saw us as, as kids. And then on top of that, there was a a misperception about me that I had returned home because I was unworthy. Um, and you'd be surprised how hard it is to like overcome that kind of like, you can tell people and, and clarify and be like, 
no, I didn't come home early. I was only asked to serve three months. Um, and they'd be like, oh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, sorry. And then, of course, they still like talk about it behind your back. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Um, so that made it very hard. And I kind of I started college, uh, which I didn't I didn't originally think I was going to go to college um, until I got home from my mission. And I was like, I don't I got to do something. Um, and so I started college when I got home short uh, a couple of months after getting married, actually. And um the you know the elders quorum president and the bishop and such didn't really have any respect for me like trying to pursue an education and kind of what i mean by that was you know everyone in elders quorum is is either in school graduate school or just starting a professional career because everyone's kind of in that young adult age group and so there was definitely this understanding that the elders quorum didn't typically get asked to do things that interfered with their education schedule because it was, you know, we're all trying to make it, we're all trying to, to like to, to start a career. And so the, we, we did a lot of work and went out with the missionaries a lot, but it was only like when we were available, we were never pressured to, to do things that we didn't have time for because there was that understanding. But for me, it was different. Um, I was often told, um, well, you can just skip your classes. They're not important and stuff like that for my, for my, my leaders and stuff. And, oh, you don't need to, you know, why don't you drop out of school and get a second job and support your family um, and stuff like that. And so it kind of, it kind of started to, but no, it wasn't like that for anyone else. Everyone else was encouraged um, in the career paths that they were going into. And I was kind of told that I needed to be supporting my, my wife and that I needed to be working a second job instead of going to school and i think it was because i was you know notably poorer than, than the other people in the elders quorum um so i think that had a lot to do with it but that that constant reminder that like like everyone thought that i was like i shouldn't i had people tell me that they didn't think that i was a worthy priesthood holder because i was because i was going to school instead of supporting my wife and so i just got so tired of it i was like i can't i can't hear this every week I can't do this every week. Um, and so we just kind of stopped going for a little bit. And we had decided that we would start going again if we moved locations at some point, which was in the future because I was planning on going to graduate school. And so we thought, you know, if we end up in North Carolina or Michigan or somewhere, we'll start going to the local ward there. But it was during that time, actually shortly before we moved, that I had – I'm trying to think of the first, oh, you know what it was? It was Mormon Stories podcast. That mm. was the first thing that, that got me. I I was listening to it at, or I found it at work because I was trying to find, you know, I had been listening to conference talks at work, just trying to like pretend like I was still active in my head, um, like consuming content. And I ran out of like conference talks to listen to. And so I was like, man, I got to find some kind of LDS content that I can consume that's auditory because I was managing a warehouse. And so mm -hmm. I could listen to whatever I wanted, but I couldn't like watch anything. Mm -hmm. And so I found Mormon Stories podcast because I just typed Mormon into the Apple podcast thing. And I listened to about 20 minutes. And this is probably 2016, I want to say 2017, maybe. Um, I listened to about 20 minutes of an episode and it it only then hit me. I was like, I don't think this guy's in the church because <laughs> it was very positive. And then occasionally it was like Mormon culture, this, and I'd be like, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound very, <laughs> very TBM. Um, 
And then I, I actually stopped listening to it because I was like, I can't, I can't, not right now. I don't, I don't have it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just too busy with everything. And then I ended up meeting, a, I ended up making friends with some people that were very, um, they were, they were all part of the same, like, um, uh, secular humanist group. Um, and we had met through something else, but we were, we had gotten to talking and they kind of, they were like, Oh, what, you know, are you an atheist? And I was like, no, I'm a Mormon. <laughs> and like what? Um, and so that was very confusing for them. And so they would kind of pick my brain more out of curiosity. They weren't being mean to me. Um, they were, res- they were actually being very respectful, but they, um, I had just had so many friends that could not believe that they had like met someone who was an adult mormon that like believed it (laughs) um and so they would ask me all these questions they'd be like you know is the is it true you know the hans mill massacre is that story true and i'd be like what and (laughs) and and those kind of like church history questions and so because they would ask i would i would say either you know i've heard of this um it's a lie (laughs) made up about the church or i would say i've never heard of that or whatever but no matter what it was i would go and look it up immediately afterwards and be like what the hell are the kinderhook plates Mm -hmm. and so i'd look this stuff up and i'd be like yo that's pretty (laughs) that's pretty incriminating i don't (laughs) i don't know how i feel about that and then it finally i got so much that i finally took it to my wife that i was like listen I know we had said that, <laughs> that we were thinking about going back, but like, let me make this case real quick. And she didn't want to hear it. She wasn't, she wasn't having it. Um, because I didn't really know how to articulate what the specific problems was. It was just, it's not that there's one thing. It's that everything doesn't make sense. It's all of it. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Um, and so I eventually found the CES letter which is I feel like that's the first thing for a lot of people, but I didn't find that it was, so much that later. That was my first thing. And when I found that, I was reading through it, and I was like, this is the best consolidated document on everything. And so I showed that to my wife, and she was just kind of like chalking it up to like, oh, you know, these feel like, you know, if if these were true, absolutely I would leave, but I just don't know that they are because I feel like this is an anti-Mormon thing and then on the ces letters website they have links to the gospel topics essays um where they talk about these things and so when she got to that she was done because she was like this is the church website and they're literally like copying to stuff that they've been denying (laughs) like every time like you know you'll ask about multiple accounts of the first vision and of course your leaders are like oh that's not true it's an anti-mormon lie um but you look on the church's website and the gospel topics essays and they're like oh yeah we know about that (laughs) we weren't going to tell you but (laughs) so yeah that was definitely kind of the path that that took me to kind of first like emerging and and deciding that there was something up to like really figuring out and then when i got when i got her on board was when I decided that I wanted to formally resign. I was a little worried though, because, um, because everyone's so kind of tight knit. Um, I definitely had the kind of word where the Bishop and stake president would just like ignore it, um, and tell you to just we'll pray about it for a little bit and then get back to me. And I was like, I don't really want to encourage contact in the meantime and let them know that I'm trying to leave. So <laughs> I, I found out about quit Mormon. Mm. 
and I did it that way. Um, and then the the bishop ended up telling everyone anyway, so it didn't end up mattering. But <laughs> uh, which I'm I'm pretty confident that he was not supposed to do. But that's you know that's whatever mm. at this point. Now, as all of this is hitting you, like obviously you're feeling like confusion. Were you were you angry? Were you was there any resentment? I um. <laughs> there's i'm still angry <laughs> to be completely honest with you um i'm it's so it was a combination of like i lost part of my childhood over this because i spent you know if i if i break it down i i had the equivalent of a full-time job growing up my entire childhood between you know, seminary uh mutual things uh I would go home teaching for me and then I would also go home teaching for for other people because um we had a we had another guy in our ward who was um ill and he couldn't like get up to go home teaching so I went with his companion because my parents volunteered me for that. So I did that for a long time and so I was I was spending and, and of course church on Sundays and things like that. I was spending, you know, sometimes 40 50 hours a week doing nothing but but church related things. And so I lost a lot of, of like my childhood dedicating myself to that. And I thought it was important. It's not like I was trying to avoid it. And then also um, I was lied to, you know, <laughs> it wasn't like I was just forced to do this. I, I wanted to do it because I thought it was true. And so I, I mean, the anger that I felt after that, especially because you know, there's the, I'm sure you've never heard this, but there's kind of that, you know, as soon as you get mad about it, everybody's like, well, you can leave the church, but you can't leave the church alone. And I'm like, you literally dedicate your entire lives to getting people into this church that you think is true. Can you imagine what it feels like to find out that it's not real? Um, I, I literally spent so much effort trying to convince people to join and I, thankfully, I didn't have any baptisms on my mission, or I think I, that would actually like that would that would really like eat at me now. I think if I not not to say that people should feel bad about that because like you couldn't have, like it's not your fault, but at the same time, I would have had a really hard time processing that, knowing that I had brought somebody into it, um, and that I would have, of course, fed them a whole line of crap to get them into it in the first place mm-hmm. and so yeah i'm i would say that i'm still resentful and angry not necessarily at like 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 part of it's maybe directed at my family only because there were there were specific things within like church culture and things that my parents didn't have to do and they did it anyway <laughs> when it came to like not letting me socialize with people outside the church and stuff like that and so i'm, I'm resentful for that kind of stuff but to be honest, if my parents had been Baptist, it would have been the same thing. It's not like the—I don't think that that's the church's fault, but I think that the 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 structure and, and the um, the the fraud part of it was just very like I didn't know how to. I, I it took me a long time to process because you know my entire my entire worldview was based off of that. It wasn't like I. Um, you know, only thought about it sometimes. It was my my entire identity was built around being Mormon. And so that was, even when I was inactive, um, it was like that. Everyone knew me as a Mormon. That was, um, people, people knew that about me before they knew I was married. I mean, that was like the biggest part of my identity that anyone who knew me 
could have pointed to to identify me they would have been like oh brian the mormon right um so well because you know i really i enjoy your your sense of humor you know what i mean so <laughs> i try so that 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 was making because uh, you know you seem positive that's why i was kind of asking like uh it had, yeah. how long it took you to kind of get out of that phase or if, yeah. if that was even possible um but how has life been for you outside of the church aside from kind of the you know obviously trauma yeah know, and yeah. resentment and well stuff. it's it's funny i i feel like i'm more of a i don't know maybe i'm a more negative person now. i don't know maybe i'm more positive it's hard to tell um because the people that knew me then were all Mormon and they wouldn't be honest with you <laughs> about it. So, um, but I definitely like, I would say that like most things in my life have like dramatically improved. Cause when I was growing up, I, I, I wasn't really expecting to, to go to college or to have any kind of job outside of just kind of like the warehouse type of work I was doing. I think my first job, I was working for a pool company. Like I just, that's kind of what I was planning on on doing for the rest of my life was that kind of stuff. And I formally left the church the same year that I got accepted into graduate school to study psychological science. And now I'm, I'm still in school, obviously it takes a long time to get through grad school, but, um, so I'm still doing that. And, um, my, my quality of life after moving to North Carolina has just increased dramatically. Um, the type of people that I associate with is increased dramatically just because I'm not, I'm not even trying to impress like, like like LDS people anymore or the type of people who would be impressed by that kind of like lifestyle, you know, dyed my hair, got my ears pierced, got a bunch of tattoos, that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm also, you know, I have a, I have a job and stuff that I wouldn't have had had I, you know, listened to the advice of my leaders and stuff and, you know, dropped out of school and, focused more on supporting my family and even even my wife's quality of life has increased because she's now you know running a restaurant and doing her own professional thing that that what wouldn't have been supported by by the leadership back home because she needed to be we also don't have any kids which was a kind of a i'm really glad that we we left before we decided to do that because realistically you know when we talked about it we had originally said we wanted kids because we had to, you don't, you don't get to say you don't want kids when you grow up in that environment. And, you know, when we got out of it, we were kind of like, I don't, I don't want kids. I don't want them either. <laughs> so we, that was a, that was a really big benefit. And I'm glad that we were able to, to get out before we were kind of socially pressured into that. Cause I think eventually we probably would have mm -hmm. been pressured into that. Yeah, well, absolutely. But um, you mentioned you're studying psychology Right. Yeah. Um, are you interested in like? I, I know very little about this kind of stuff, but um, oh, you're are, fine. are you interested in like helping treat others with like some like religious trauma background or like what? What is the appeal there? What are you? Yeah. No. I mean, you, you would it? you'd expect that, but no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but no, I am. Um, I don't do clinical. I do. Um, I do research, and okay. specifically, I I focus more on like. Um, I do a little bit of, I originally went into study like forensic and legal psychology, but um, I've kind of switched more into industrial and organizational and like workplace psychology. And I do a lot of like uh, personality assessment type of, type of research. Um, 
but I'm I'm strictly not clinical. I don't do any like like that kind of <laughs> stuff. But I do think that when I originally went in, I I was kind of drawn to I had an interest. I think the th- the first thing that got me into psychology when I was in my undergrad because I originally started out as a business major and then I worked in business for a little bit and I was like, I don't, don't want to do this. Um, and so then I switched to psychology because I had, I had an interest in like how like cult psychology worked, which was ironic because I was currently an active Mormon at the time. Um, but I had this weird fascination with how like cult psychology worked and that's kind of what pulled me into it originally, I think. And I, at, at one point, I think I wanted to go into clinical and work with like, cult survivors and things like that that's what i wanted to do um (laughs) so that would have been that would have been a really weird situation to be in if i had stayed in the church um so yeah i think that was the thing that originally pulled me into it was i had a curiosity that i think looking back came from being in an environment that i that i knew i didn't like and I saw other people that were in like slightly worse versions of that environment. And I was fascinated by the psychology of that kind of, that kind of trauma that people had. But then I gravitated away from it. The more that I, the more that I gravitated away from the church, the more I kind of, I just explored things that were interesting to me rather than things that, that were kind of holdups from my past, which I'm really glad about. Cause I, I'm, I wouldn't, I'm glad that I'm going into an area of research that isn't related to that, even though I feel like I'm in a place where I can do a lot of good for people that are coming out of that. I'd rather keep that separate because I know we were talking earlier about having like that resentment that and that anger. And I have that. I definitely do. But I like the possibility of maybe not always having that. And I don't know if that's going to be the way it goes, but me clinging to it and staying and studying and researching about uh, you know religious trauma and cult behavior and things is not going to get me further away from that anger and that resentment and i think me pursuing things that are just genuinely interesting and fun to me is a better way for me to distance myself from that oh yeah oh yeah i I definitely agree with that um is there we we gotta we gotta wind down, Brian. Yeah, we've been talking for like eight hours. I'm not kidding. We've been talking for seven hours. We only recorded the last part of this. <laughs> Just kind of, I'm kind of tired at this point. But uh, is there anything I haven't asked that you wanted to get into? I don't know. I think I, I kind of only expected to like have to talk about my mission and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, no, this is this is good. I I'm trying to think if there's anything that. There's any part of like the experience that um, I think one th- one thing that was interesting for me um, leaving, especially if you talk to, I mean, of course you talk to other like exports. It's uh, the whole point <laughs> of the show, but um, I think that a lot of people lose a lot of their like family um, and friends, and I definitely did too. I I've lost a lot of my family, and they'll still they'll still like talk to me, but it's not it's not genuine. It's just like, like small talk and superficial things to kind of make the appearance that they, you know, just enough to bring up the topic of me going back to church, but never, never enough to like be important. And then one the, the good thing for me though, was that I, all my siblings that I had mentioned before, like earlier, earlier, 
um, that were all much older than me, they had all left the church. So they, they all left as they got older. And so I didn't really have any contact with them growing up because my mom didn't really want to subject me to their, um, their opinions. And they have some opinions. <laughs> They're also very resentful and angry, um, which I found out after leaving. Um, but I've, I've recently gotten to connect with a lot of them, um, which has been a really good experience for me. And so I lost, I lost the family that I grew up with, but I feel like I really got to connect with, with a lot of family members that I knew existed, but I had no interaction or association with them. And now that we kind of have this shared background, we immediately clicked and had a lot of things in common. And so that was really, it was really nice to be able to come out to immediately be hit with, you have another family that's, that's been waiting for you to get out. Um, so that was really nice. Yeah, I actually com completely forgot that you had mentioned that before we uh, yeah. started, that you had much older siblings. Um, so do you think that's why your mom was like so strict with you? Like only Mormon yeah, kids? Yeah, I know have you it being was tainted. because I've heard, I've heard things from their childhoods and it was a very different environment. Um, and, you know, they were growing up in the, I guess it would have been the 70s, 80s um, that they were growing up. My, my parents are much older than me. There's a very big generation gap. Um, but yeah, my siblings were growing up in kind of the seventies and eighties. Um, and they, they just kind of took part in normal, like normal, like high school kids stuff during that time. And, and I didn't get to in my time. And I think the reason was because she, she saw that they all left. And I think my mom thought that that was the reason that they left was because they weren't, they weren't held close enough. Um, and so I think she thought if she did that with me, that it would, it would do that, but it kind of had the opposite effect. Cause I think maybe honestly, if I had, if I had grown up closer to a normal kid, I think maybe I wouldn't have had as much reason to question it. Cause it wouldn't have been so unpleasant that I felt like I had to get away from it. Oh. And you thought you were just going to talk about your mission. Yeah, we're getting into <laughs> deep. We're getting into drama. deep cuts here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I definitely don't claim to have any answers, and everybody's path is is, is so unique to them. Um, but is there any advice that you might have for someone, maybe struggling, maybe fresh out of the church? Um, Maybe I would hold say, on to GameStop stock. Hold on to it, yeah, guys. Yeah, my my <laughs> biggest advice is um, don't sell. Yes, do not <laughs> hold sell. On. We're, we're getting... <laughs> hold the line, guys. Yeah, hold the line. Uh, now, I think uh, if it were someone who was who was like questioning or maybe just leaving, I think my biggest advice would be that. Um, the, the world is not as dark as you've been told it is outside the church. Because I think that that was, you know, the biggest collapse you have when you first leave or you first think about leaving is like, what am I going to do? <laughs> like, that's like, I don't know where to go from there. But realistically, the the world is much like the grass is much greener over here, even when you're on this side. Um, it's not it's not a scenario where it looks great when you're when you're you know, on, on the other side, but it's the great and spacious building. And it's actually awful when you get there. It's, it's so much better outside. And I've seen no, no scenario in which I would have rather have been in the church since leaving. 
So it definitely gets better. It's definitely worth distancing yourself. I'm, I'm enjoying this so much, Brian. I, I do not want to let you go. I don't <laughs> want to let you go. Stay with me. Um, so I want to ask you one more question. Yeah, no problem. Um, and it's, it's also related to advice, but... You what? can post a three-hour podcast or something. Yeah, it's not bad. Gonna, yeah. No one's going to no care. But um, what what advice would you give, like, yourself, maybe uh, right before the mission, right after the mission? You know, Present I have day. thought about that so many times. Because um, I've, seen, I've seen, like, posts about it in, like, you know, like on the ex-Mormon, like, Facebook group and stuff. A lot of people have posted, like, you know, what if you could – if you could like write a letter to yourself as like a teenager, what would you have, what would you have said? And I think the point of those posts and those questions is to kind of get this, like, you know, what, how concisely do you put, you need to leave, you need to get out of this to your younger self. But to be honest, I was exposed to stuff as a kid that should have done it. There's no reason it shouldn't have gotten me out. I, it should have been the thing that convinced me. Um, and it didn't work because I was so in it that nothing would have would have torn me out. And so I think the only advice I would have given to myself was um, to trust myself um, because I think um, nothing nothing would have like accelerated the process. I think it could have been more comfortable if I had known that I could trust the instinct I had when I was, you know, you know, they say that kind of like the spirit of discernment if you will there was kind of this feeling when i was reading a lot of this stuff where i thought you know the spirit will prompt me if i'm reading something that isn't true and that never happened because it wasn't gonna happen first of all but also um the things i were reading were true and so they just weren't good um and so that i think would have been the advice i would have given was to just like trust yourself um you're not stupid you're not having one pulled over on you like just just trust yourself um think more highly of your own ability to like critically think um because like i said you know if i had said you know you know read (laughs) go read the ces letter right now had been my like message i it wouldn't have done anything to me at the time i would have read it and i would have been able to rationalize my way out of it man you knocked it out of the park brian this whole episode good say, that's what i came I love here for it. yeah <laughs> man perfect no but i really do i really do appreciate you you're coming on and you know definitely for, for getting vulnerable and sharing your story yeah no problem it's glad to be here you know i hope you enjoy the rest of your night and yeah you too man you stay up all right take it easy yeah bye. you too bye Focal Point Podcast for the Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.